Hello and welcome to the New Testament Setting Podcast. My name is Dr. Benjamin Browning and as we get started I would encourage you to like, share, and leave a review on this podcast. It helps the channel out. Also, you can purchase my book called Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps us out. For those of you who enjoy this podcast, I have good news. At least, I think it's good news. I've decided to shift this show from mainly just me talking to being more of a conversation, specifically interviews. And in this new format, what I'll be doing primarily is interviewing people who are specialists in a particular area or have a high degree of knowledge about a particular subject. So I am going to start by mainly interviewing people I know. Now, eventually, I'll move out to scholars I don't know quite as well. Um, But starting out, I'll mainly be interviewing people I know, often friends. And we'll be just discussing things that relate to the New Testament, and specifically the setting of the New Testament. With that in mind, over the next couple episodes, you will be hearing an interview of Dr. Jonathan Patterson, who is a really good friend of mine uh, whose specialty is in Old Testament. And we'll be talking about a variety of issues. So he and I both went to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, which you will hear mentioned as NOBTS in this interview. And I think he has a lot of insight to shed on the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Ben Browning. Uh, this is a New Testament setting podcast. We have an awesome treat today, my friend, Dr. Jonathan Patterson, who you will hear me pretty much throughout just call JP because we've known each other since before either of us had doctorate. So we just kind of that's, Quite a that's long time. <laughs> yes, a very long time. So I will let him introduce himself because he will do it better than me. So go ahead, JP, and introduce yourself. Ah. All right. Uh, so yeah, as as been said, uh, I'm JP Jonathan Patterson. Nobody calls me that. Um, uh, I teach Old Testament and Hebrew uh, at NOBTS. I have been doing that uh, since 2012. Um, got a PhD here in 2016. Uh, focusing on covenant, covenant lawsuit uh, in my writing in particular, but um, uh, I also direct our accelerated pro- uh, MDiv program uh, here at the seminary. I've uh, been doing that for the last several years. Um, just really enjoying it. Uh, you'll hear me talk uh, a good bit probably about my kids. So I've been married for almost 16 years. I have four uh, amazing kids. Most of the time, they're amazing. Uh, ages 13 through six. Uh, so yeah, man, just really excited to, uh, to be here today with you, Ben and, uh, and looking forward to it, man. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. And, uh, so guys, this is a treat for me because as a new Testament guy, you know, my specialization is in new Testament social setting. Uh, but I love, uh, the impact that, uh, and the value and love to study the impact and value of the Old Testament on the New Testament. So in this podcast, what I'm trying to emphasize is New Testament setting. So that's not just the, the cultural, historical setting, but it's also the literary setting. And uh, the Old Testament is the chief literary setting 
of the New Testament. You cannot grasp the Old Testament. I mean, the New Testament without the Old Testament. So with that in mind, it's awesome for me to get to talk to an Old Testament scholar and for us to just kind of hang out and to man, record look, it. Man, I'm just, I'm just glad that you recognize the importance of the Old Testament. So, I, <laughs> you know, it is the, the greater testament, as we like to say, uh, in terms of definitely length. Definitely the first. <laughs> definitely the first. <laughs> so let's, with, with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, jumping into this, uh, because this is going to be a great conversation. So I'm going to start out talking about covenant in the Old Testament and the New Testament, because this is JP's area. So you guys are going to really enjoy getting to learn about this from him. So when we talk about covenant, and I've talked about this a little bit already on the podcast, if people go deep into the early parts of this podcast, the first few episodes. But when we talk about covenant, JP, here's my first real question. So first of all, what is a covenant? And how was God's covenant with Israel similar or different to other covenants in the ancient Near East? So that's just, was it any different than the people around them? Was it the same? Like, so what is it? And kind of how was it similar or different from those around Israel? Right. Yeah, no, that's a good question. So covenant is basically just an agreement, right? It's an agreement between uh, two parties. Uh, so very similar to what we see in a lot of ancient Near Eastern treaties. Um, and, and really in the ancient Near Eastern world, you have two distinct types of treaties. So the first that you have is a, we call a parity treaty, where you're essentially dealing with a, an agreement between equal parties, right? They're, they're on the same level, uh, socially, economically, it's, it's agreement between two equal parties. Um, so that's the parity treaty. Uh, the other form is what we call the, the Zuzeran vassal treaty. And this is what we see a lot of in uh, the ancient Near East and, and actually what we see uh, the Old Testament covenant kind of mimicking. So essentially you're dealing with one party who is subservient to another. So you have the Zuzeran, the king, and then you have the vassal people, the people who are subservient to the king. Now, in these Zuzeran vassal treaties, what we see is that it's primarily for the benefit of the king. It's, it's for the benefit of the Zuzeran, right? Uh, the benefit that was received by the, the vassal people really is uh, directly related to how much they benefit the Zuzeran, right? To, to how uh, obedient they are, how much tribute they, they give to the, the king. Uh, so their benefit is derived from how beneficial they are. Biblical covenant, on the other hand, really are solely beneficial or solely for the benefit of the vassal, right? When we're talking about the covenant between God and Israel, uh, even in the, the, the new covenant between God and, and Christians, um, it's for the benefit of us, the, the vassal people, right? Uh, God's existence is not uh, affected. His, his life, so to speak, is not made easier or harder um, based on Israel's obedience, based on our obedience. It's, it's only the lives of the covenant people that, that, that are benefited by this. And so while there are plenty of similarities, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I know you've got some other uh, more more uh, deep questions about covenant, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit. Um, but but really, the major difference here is that these 
ancient Near Eastern Zuzeran vassal treaties are really for the benefit of the king uh, to make sure that all is, is going well within his empire uh, and, and people aren't rebelling, whereas the, the biblical covenant is really for the benefit of the vassal. It's for the benefit of us as God's covenant people. Yeah, and you know what? That's one of those kind of, uh, that statement there that in the biblical covenants, the Old Testament covenants, uh, God's not benefiting because, I mean, that's kind of an obvious thing. Like, well, of course, right? you know, it's what, what could they give God that he doesn't already have within himself? It's kind of an obvious thing, but, you know, until you said that, you know, I, I was like, I had not brought that top of mind, you know, this, this reality that, Hey, like if we look at, these other co covenants it's all about what can you do for the king yep but in this particular case you know with the biblical covenants it's what can the king the king of the universe do for you right right how does so so in the ancient near east it's how does you know as the vassal how does my obedience directly affect the king whereas in the biblical covenant how does my obedience directly impact me how does it affect me? Because it has no real effect, no bearing on, you know, God's life as, as being easier, harder. You know, I'm making things difficult for him. It's no, if I'm if I'm disobedient, I'm only making things harder for myself. Right. If I'm obedient, then I'm making things much easier on on myself. So very, very different as as similar as they are in form. You know, the function is is very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so real quick, because I want to I want to dig into that a little bit more of so what are the benefits and what are the requirements? But before I do that, I, I, one kind of point of clarification here, when we talk about Old Testament covenants, what are we talking about? Because there's more than one covenant in the Old Testament. So before I can ask the question about what are the benefits and requirements, I need to clarify what covenant we're talking about. So <laughs> briefly, right. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 funny because we do see different covenants, you know, the Adamic, the Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic. And and yet they're they're basically parts of the same, you know, essentially. So when we're talking about when I'm talking about covenant, primarily what we're talking about is the Mosaic covenant. Right. The establishment of that relationship of Israel as the people of God you know, in Exodus, Mount Sinai, right? That's where we really get the establishment of the nation, this covenant relationship. But but even still, all of that is, is derivative, you know, derived from the Adamic covenant and then the Noahic, then the Abrahamic. And, and even when we get, you know, in the future, the Davidic covenant is derivative of this, this Mosaic covenant. So, Speaking broadly about covenant, you know, I'm always talking about the Mosaic covenant, the establishment of uh, God's relationship with the nation of Israel. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. There are we do see multiple covenants, but but really, you know, it's they're they're parts of the same essentially. Gotcha. And just to clarify for people who maybe aren't as familiar with those with the the term when we say Mosaic covenant, and you kind of touched on it, we're talking about the covenant established at Mount Sinai after the people of Israel were delivered out of, um, out of Egypt, 
this is the covenant that was given, that was made with the people of Israel um, under, you know, under the leadership of Moses, which is why we call it the Mosaic covenant. Right, right. So with that in mind, now let's jump to perhaps the, the deeper kind of heavier question. And that is with that Mosaic covenant, um, can you, can you give us just kind of an overview of what were the benefits that they had as a result of that covenant? And then what were the requirements and try to do that without basically saying, read, read, uh, Exodus numbers, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, right. maybe condense uh, yeah, four no, books of the old Testament into one answer, I guess. I, I will try to do that without saying that, although I would certainly encourage everyone, uh, to, to read those books. Um, so we're talking about the, the benefits and the requirements, and I think we get a really good summation, actually what we call covenant in brief in Exodus 19. And so uh, most, most scholars these days uh, consider Exodus 19 to be later than uh, Exodus 20 through 24, what we call typically call the, the covenant code, the book of the covenant, because it does kind of provide a, a summary of what God then lays out, you know, in, in more explicit detail. And, and when we, so when we look at Exodus 19, particularly verse five, what we see is now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, well, there's, there's the requirements, right? Obey what God's telling you, keep the covenant that, that he's about to give later on. And he says, if you'll do this, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples, right? So there's benefit, right? You will be the treasured possession of God. Well, who is this God? Then he lays out his authority for all the earth is mine, right? Everything belongs to God and the benefit that you, Israel, will receive by obeying his voice, keeping his covenant, is that you will be his treasured possession among all peoples. And so Exodus 19 introduces Israel at Sinai. We get the formation of the, the so-called nation of Israel. And then from there, we move on to the Ten Commandments, right? In Hebrew, it's called the Ten Words in Exodus 20, uh, verses 1 through 21, lays this out. And then Exodus 20, uh, verse 22, picks up and starts what we traditionally call the Covenant Code or, or the Book of the Covenant, which runs through uh, pretty much all of, of chapter uh, 23. What's interesting, when we look at the Covenant Code, just dealing with specific requirements of the Covenant Code, what we see is that it's bookended by laws uh, pertaining to proper worship and relationship to God. So the last part of Exodus 20 deals with idols, deals with proper uh, altars that the people should use. And then when we get to the end, uh, chapter 23, uh, verses 10 through 19, deals with things like the Sabbath, with the, the festivals, the sacrifices that the people were to offer. But the rest of the covenant code, the bulk of it really, uh, deals with how the Israelites were to treat other people. So just as what we see in, in the Ten Commandments, we have four commandments that deal with man's relationship to God, and then six commandments that deal with man's relationship to his, his fellow man, to other people. Uh, it's clear that God has devoted greater attention to telling the people of Israel how they're to interact with one another how they're to interact with others outside of the covenant nation, even uh, more so than how they are to interact with him. And, and that's not to say that, that maintaining a proper relationship to God 
uh, is not important or, or even that it's less important than maintaining uh, this, this proper relationship to other people. But I, I find it interesting, and <laughs> I really find it interesting given our, our current cultural context in, in American evangel uh, evangelicalism, um, where, where we have some who have decided that it's okay to be jerks for Jesus, so to speak, right? Yeah. Like, you know, just you can, you can beat them over, over the head, you know, call out sin and, and be uh, bullies almost about it. Mm -hmm. And, and yet what we see is that God seems immensely concerned with how we treat other people, right? It's not enough simply to be doctrinally sound, to have a right relationship with God if you don't love and respect other people. And so this really gets to the, the heart of the issue of, of so many of the prophets later in the Old Testament. I know we'll probably talk about that later on, but, but for the time being, I'll just say that so many of the problems, the issues that we see addressed in the prophets are, are rooted in the fact that the covenant people of God are treating others within the covenant community with utter contempt and disrespect, right? There's, there's no love of fellow man. It's all about, you know, making sure you do the right things for God, but, but not necessarily concerned with, with how you treat other people. Um, so I want to come back just real quick as, as wrapping up this, this discussion um, and talking about the requirements of the benefits, because we can turn our attention to Deuteronomy 28, which lays out specific requirements uh, or, or benefits, you know, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Uh, and so in most of your English Bibles, you probably have headings and you'll see uh, the heading at the beginning of chapter 28 for verses 1 through 14 is blessings for obedience, right? And we see a number of, of specific blessings, but essentially it boils down to protection and prosperity, right? Mm -hmm. Not in the sense of like the prosperity gospel, but in the sense that God is going to provide for his people who are obedient and who follow after him, right? And so that's what verses 1 through 14 kind of boil down to. Then we get to verse 15, and the heading that we have on verse 15 is curses for disobedience. And that runs all the way through the end of the chapter, 68 verses in that chapter. So verses 15 through 68, four times as much space dedicated to the curses for disobedience than, than the blessings for obedience. So this is something I, I love to take my Old Testament students to, because yeah. you know, are we really thinking that God is much more concerned about cursing people than he is about blessing people? And, and certainly that's not the case. So the example that I always use uh, is, is with my own children. So I mentioned I have four, ages 13 through six, uh, and, and I can give my children, uh, you know, tasks, things that they're expected to do, things that they're expected not to do. Um, and, and, and I can be somewhat vague about the reward, right? If you, you clean your room, you know, if you take out the trash, like you'll, you'll get something good. Something good yeah. will come out of it. I'll reward you. Sometimes that reward is, you know, maybe maybe not enough for them to want to do, mm -hmm. do what they've been asked to do. Uh, but but I can be fairly vague about that. But but when I start laying out the consequences for disobedience, yeah. if you don't do what you're supposed to do, or if you do what you're not supposed to do, let me be very clear about what's going to happen. Let right. me be very precise about what you can expect. And, and, and I always, when I get done laying out that 
you know, that consequence. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Do you hear what I'm telling you? Repeat back to me, right? If yeah. you don't do this, what's going to happen? Uh, and so I think that's what, what God is, is trying to do here is certainly he is, he desires to bless Israel, right? He desires their obedience so that he can bless them. Yeah. But they're, they're getting ready to enter into the promised land here, right? Like this is the end of Deuteronomy as we're, as we're preparing to enter into the land and, and God's trying to be very specific, very precise. This is, this is what's going to happen if you don't follow if you don't keep the covenant if you don't obey my voice and do what i have told you let me be very clear about what you can expect so certainly god wants to bless much more so than he wants to curse but but he's going to make it very clear for israel if you don't do this let me be very specific about what you can expect to happen uh so that's that's just something i've always found kind of fascinating um, very much treating Israel like a child and and, and yeah. laying those consequences out to to be very clear uh, about what's going to happen. Yeah, you know that's a fantastic illustration. I um I've never heard it put that way, and I think that is so helpful, like extremely helpful. You know, you can you know you can say, hey, if you do this, I'm going to give you a surprise if you do well. But if you're bad, it's like I want it. Uh, I want to lay out specifically, well, you said if I did this, you know, so very specific. So that is a really helpful illustration. Um, Use my kids for lots of illustrations. That's that's right. That is that is OK. That is OK. I, I do the same. I do the same. So, um, you know, it's funny, like you're talking about the, those blessings. I think that's really helpful. We don't have time to dig into that because I want to do other things, but I think there is a tendency, particularly in preaching and those types of things and in songs and popular culture to get to the the end of the verses about blessing and being like, oh, look at the time moving on. <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't want to hear about the bad things. right? We, don't we, only, hear we only want to know the good. Right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> And Give me the good stuff. Don't, don't tell me what's going to happen if I'm, if I'm disobedient. Yeah. And yet, if we follow the history of Israel, they get that last half, right? Yeah. Um, which is, you know, what we're about to get into, kind of segue into this, because in order to understand the New Testament, it's so important to understand this uh, reality of covenant of the people of Israel seeing themselves as a covenant people so and this will be time for you maybe talk about the prophets and some of the other things um leading up my question is how did israel's failure to keep the covenant spoiler alert they failed to keep the covenant uh how did, <laughs> how did israel's failure to keep the covenant contribute to the background of the new testament yeah. Uh, and so that's a really good question. And, and the first thing that I think that we need to, to acknowledge, you know, from the outset, uh, from the very establishment of God's covenant with Israel, like he had to know that Israel would be unable to keep the covenant completely. Like we, we both, uh, you know, ascribe to the omniscience of God. God knew that Israel would never be able to, to keep this covenant. So 
So why, you know, why establish it in the way that he did? Well, certainly, you know, there were there were faithful ones among the community who who strived to do so, did their best to to keep the covenant. But um, you know, just as today, we are powerless to affect our own salvation. It, it was impossible for the Israelites to keep the entirety of the of the covenant on their own, and then through works, through sacrifices, things like that, to affect their own salvation. Uh, so one of my dear friends and, and mentors, and, and Ben, you know Dr. Archie England very well, uh, has a lecture that he does every time he teaches on uh, the book of Leviticus. It's a lecture that he calls his high cost of sin lecture. Uh, essentially, he starts with the economic realities of what it would mean to offer sacrifices for atonement for every sin, right? So you go to the temple, you offer your sacrifice, you know, whatever it is <clears throat> based on your economic standing. Uh, and so you then leave the temple having just made your sacrifice and you stub your toe on a rock and you curse the rock in, in God's name. Or, uh, you know, you see your neighbor's field or, or your neighbor's wife and you're jealous or, or covetous. Well, guess what? You just sinned again, right? You, you've got to atone for that sin yet again via sacrifice. And so as we, as he takes students through thinking about the, the financial, the economic toll uh, that sin would have on the life of someone who, who desperately wanted to be faithful to the covenant. But, but when we think about that, you know, what's more likely that, that an individual would live in abject poverty in order to maintain covenant fidelity, or that he would, you know, shirk the requirements of the covenant in order to have some kind of financial stability. Um, Sadly, I think the same thing kind of continues to play out in, in American Christianity today. Like we want that comfort. We want that financial stability more necessarily than we want, you know, utter and complete faithfulness to God and, uh, and, and to what he's requiring of us. And so uh, from the, the Old Testament, from the cost of sin, uh, we then look forward to, to the New Testament and to the sacrifice of Christ. And, and the point is that, you know, for too many Christians today, like the, the cost and weight of, of our sin simply doesn't resonate with us, right? Like we have adopted this sort of you know, easy believism uh, and, and the magnitude of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, becoming that once and for all sacrifice for all people who would profess faith in him. You, you think about just the financial impact of that yeah. uh, on, on the people of Israel. And now you're talking about all people for the last 2000 years, what it would mean if we were having to make sacrifices every time we sin. And now Christ has become that once and for all sacrifice. And, and that that's lost on us yeah. far too often. And that's really the point of, of Archie's lecture is that, you know, from the old covenant, from the old Testament, we ought to be able to recognize the full weight of Jesus sacrifice and the, the new Testament or the new covenant then that that ushers in, you know, our, our sin is, is certainly no less significant than, than the, or costly, you know, than the sin of old Testament believers. And so we need to be able to, at least in, in some small way, grasp the magnitude of what Jesus' sacrifice truly meant. And so I think by having this understanding of the covenant, how 
virtually impossible it was to to keep the full measure of the covenant to to sacrifice you know, to offer enough sacrifice to atone for all sin you know really kind of prepares us for just the scope and magnitude of of what that sacrifice of Christ on the cross meant for us yeah yeah absolutely you know i've never thought about you know i haven't thought about that in terms of the financial cost mm. and all of the cost that would be incurred on an individual when they made atonement for their sins. And, well, you know, it's, it's to, yeah. to some extent it's, it's kind of crude because we hate to think about, you know, like financial costs when we're talking about, you know, spiritual matters, but, but, you know, that's the reality of, of what it was for Israel. Like it, <laughs> if you're a sinful person and you sin all the time, like that affects your livelihood if you are are yeah. truly wanting to try to make things right, try to atone for that sin, you know that that causes your family to suffer because uh, you know you're you're having to give up your your goats or your 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 birds or your grain or whatever. Like that that causes your family to suffer, and you know as as family men, you know that yeah that really hits home. Like. I want to be able to provide for my family. Um, and man, if I'm having to give up so much because yeah. I can't rein sin in, in my life, man, it's a huge weight to bear. Wow. It's like the, the, the idea of having a cussing jar, but turned up to a thousand. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> Every time you cuss, you put a dollar in and before you know it, you're just like, ah, we're going to Disney um, world. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, so, uh, yeah. Wow. That, I mean, I, I have not thought about that aspect of how, of the costliness yeah. and just the magnitude of what Jesus took off of, mm. uh, what weight he took off of, uh, his people. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's huge. And so in terms of, in terms of this idea of covenant, you know, to kind of catch us up, because I do want to get into another line of questioning. Uh, but this has been really good so far. So um, in terms of this idea of covenant, essentially, we have a covenant established with Israel, God's people, God's chosen people. Uh, it has benefits. It has requirements. Uh, they break the requirements. Mm -hmm. As a result of those broken requirements, uh, we have prophets come and they speak against uh, the sins of the people we have, we ultimately are going to have, uh, exile, uh, where we have the Northern kingdom is going to be destroyed and go into exile. The mm. Southern kingdom is going to be destroyed and they're going to go into exile. Uh, we have a kind of a, a restoration, um, of the people in the land, a rebuilding of the temple. And then we have this period of time, uh, of about 400 or so years uh, between the last of the prophets mm. and then when Jesus comes on the scene and then ultimately continuing in that role of uh, fulfilling the covenant um, is going to die as a sacrifice. Uh, so that, that's kind of our general picture here. Would you add anything to that, <laughs> that picture? I, man, I think that's a, that's a great summation there, Ben. All right, so so we just covered that, like you know twelve hundred years of, of Israelite history. That's right. <laughs> Thirty seconds. 
so uh so yeah that's that's kind of the thing now before we move on to another set of questions which will be somewhat connected but a little bit different talking about the law in particular um another question are there any other places in the new testament where you think this idea of of covenant is maybe helpful is there a particular passage or thing um (laughs) that you're just like man i haven't talked about this it connects covenant to New Testament. Let's let's go ahead and talk about it. And that's a good question, Ben. I mean, you're the New Testament guy, right? Um, <laughs> no, you know, I think, man, I I I, I can't pick out a, a specific passage off the top of my head uh, for you there, Ben. But but obviously the. The covenant community is is central in in the New Testament, and and what does that covenant community entail? Right? Is it simply just the the Israelites, right, the chosen people of God, or is it going to be more than that? And that's kind of one of the uh, the, the tensions that we see. You know, Paul and Peter, like, is it is it just for the Jews? Is it you know for the Gentiles? Uh, as well, how is that covenant community going to look like? Uh, and and then, you know, what does it mean to to maintain covenant fidelity? Is it simply about keeping the ritual, keeping the law, like the Pharisees, right? Or or is it more? Is it about the heart? And that's what you know. Jeremiah, you go back to the prophet Jeremiah. He talks about you know giving you a new covenant, not a covenant written in stone, but a covenant written on your heart, right? It's more than just going through the motions, you know, doing the, the, the requirements of the law, but, but how are you doing those requirements? Is it, is it with, with bitterness in your heart? Is it simply, you know, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. So this is what I'm going to do. Or do you genuinely desire to be faithful to God, to live in service to God, to commit your life to God. Uh, and, and that is the impetus then now for you to keep the law. Uh, so I think that's, again, you know, just one of the, the tensions that we see uh, in the New Testament, you know, thinking about Jesus and his confrontations with Pharisees and, you know, Paul obviously coming out of being a Pharisee now, um, kind of decrying what the Pharisees were, right? That, that it's not a, a, a you know, a, a law that saves you. It's not the works of the law uh, that bring about salvation and, and righteousness, but, you know, it's, it's faith. It's having that, that, well, <laughs> go ahead. Hold on to that, because I have, I have I don't, a question. I don't, I don't. So, so y'all, if you really love what JP was saying there, stay tuned. <laughs> It'll, it, we will get to that um, later on. So I'm going to stop you before you bury the lead here. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, but I did want to make one point, uh, another point here. And uh, you, you, from a New Testament perspective, you're talking, and we're talking about covenant. One of the things that immediately comes to mind for me is when the religious leaders come to, to John the Baptist mm. and you know, John the Baptist, who's always, you know, uh, likes to pull his punches and mince, mince words. Right. No, he's very diplomatic, right? <laughs> yes, very diplomatic. 
he looks at them, he calls them vipers. Like, who told you to flee from the destruction that comes? And he makes this statement and he says, and don't you dare say we are children of Abraham. Mm. You know, and it's it's this idea. And you see Jesus saying other things too, not too different from that. Um, and it's this idea that because we're the covenant people, mm. um, we're okay. Yeah. And yet what you really see at the heart of this is they've neglected the major things of the law. So they're God's covenant people, yeah. supposedly, you know, right. they're maybe in birth, but not in practice. And uh, so that kind of comes, you know, that comes to mind when thinking about this. I don't know if you have any comments. Well, on that. No, so it's, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny, uh, but, but you thinking about that made me think, I mean, obviously we both live in new Orleans, a very heavy Catholic influence yes. uh, here in the city. And, and so uh, I remember several years ago, my wife had a, had a coworker who will tell you, you know, she's Catholic. Her kids go to Catholic school. Uh, she uh, attends mass, probably not very often, uh, but she is functionally atheist. She yeah. will identify as Catholic, but, you know, maybe agnostic, but, but yeah. you know, not really sure. Uh, and, and, and we have a lot of that, really, uh, unfortunately, uh, because it's something that you were born into, right? You're you're born into Catholicism, so you're you're Catholic, and it's it's something we still see today uh, from from Jews. You know, you're you are uh, culturally uh, a Jew. You know, you are uh, uh, genetically uh, Jewish, but but you know, functionally agnostic or or atheist, uh, and. And, and while it, we, we wouldn't necessarily call the, the Pharisees agnostic or, or atheist, there is a sense that uh, my status as being born as a child of Abraham has has made me right with God, right? My status as having been born Catholic, raised in the Catholic Church, makes me Catholic, makes me right. And and, and it's not just Catholics, right? You know, we, we right. see this in, in Baptist yeah. churches too. You know, the, the, the people are born in the Baptist church, you know, they're raised a Baptist, uh, but, you know, are, are they Christian? Eh, barely, right. barely agnostic, you know? Uh, so yeah, it's, it, it, it plays out today too. I mean, it's not just the, the Pharisees 2000 years ago. It's, it's people in our own churches today uh, who, you know, well, I, I was born into it, so I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that gets to this next issue of the law and the rituals that come with the covenant and, um, and kind of how those impact. So we're splitting this interview across multiple episodes. So we're going to continue this interview on, but there'll be, uh, it'll be in another episode. So if you want to know about the law, Tune in to the next episode. Thank you for listening to the New Testament Setting Podcast. I encourage you to share this with friends, to leave a review, and also to purchase my book, Facing the Mob, Rome, the Crowd, and the New Testament. It really helps the channel out.